check. Something ain't right. But whatever. We'll just keep going. <laughs> I love baseball. Uh, baseball's been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. In fact, one of my, f my most vivid pictures, obviously not much of a memory, but a picture that I remember of my dad, uh, shirtless, super skinny, wearing jorts. Um, he's not, not like cool jorts, like the cutoff with the fringes. He's like, and he, this is the picture, he's like this, and there's a ball in the air, and I'm standing in my diaper about to hit the ball. I'm sure like crush it over our double wide trailer that, that's in the picture as well. That's what I remember. So I know baseball has been around my life since the very beginning. And, and since none of you were actually there to watch me play, I'm going to describe how I played the way that I remember it. I was good. I mean, I was, I was really good. Now, I'll tell you, like I played rec ball. Now, if you don't know what rec center ball is, it's like just below YMCA ball. I mean, but it wasn't, I was a star. I mean, I was a star on this team. So, I mean, I was really good then. And then I went on to play in high school. And in high school, well, I mean, I was a superstar in high school. It was a big school. It was tough to be a superstar. I mean, there, I think there were at least 16 people in my graduating class. So, I mean, it was tough. But, man, I was up there. I was, I was a superstar in high school. And all joking aside, I actually was decent at baseball. I had a chance, to, I had an opportunity to play in college. I played in college for a little while. And then shortly after that, I, was, I went into coaching and I, I helped my uh, high school. I was a graduate assistant coach right out of high school. And then there was kind of a little hiatus until my kids were old enough. But for about the past 10 years, I've been a coach on some level for both of my sons that have played. And uh, I've, I've coached them either as a head coach or, or an assistant coach. And currently I'm coaching my son who's 13. His name's Carson. I'm coaching his 13U team. And this past weekend, we went to Des Moines for a tournament, and, and we try to limit the number of Sundays we take off. And so I, I took last week off, which means it must be really important that we're going to take this trip to Des Moines. And we took this trip to Des Moines because although my playing career was pretty awesome, my coaching career has been even better. And of uh, the two years that I've taken a team to the Des Moines tournament, I've won the whole tournament. You can clap for that. And so this time I told the team, I told the team, I was like, hey, they're, they're, my legendary status is up in the air. So you guys, you need to keep it going. We get there. We show up and we went 0-3. We lost all three games we were done. I mean, it was terrible. It was really, none of them were in here. Earlier, my son and one of my other players was in here, but it was bad. I mean, it was, and so at the end of the third game, we're standing out in right field. We're doing our post-game meeting like we always do. And, and I, I try and have something encouraging usually to say, but this time I just stood there and I'm like, that's just, that was not good. Like nothing <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. But what I actually said was, hey, guys, I've realized something during this game. And I am not good enough of a coach to make you something that you don't already want to be. If you don't already want to be a good baseball player, there's nothing I can do. But if you want to be a good baseball player, I can help you do that. And then I'm telling you, it was like the heavens opened. I mean, just like clouds parted and this light shone down on, on one of the boys. And he stood up in front of his peers. I mean, like he just must have been so nervous. He stood up and he said, oh, wise one, would you teach me how to play baseball? And it was beautiful. Obviously, that did not happen, not any, anywhere close to that. But that, something like that did happen to Jesus. So Jesus had these 12 guys that followed him around everywhere he went. We call them the disciples. You, know, you probably know or have heard of the disciples. They followed him everywhere he went for a long time. And, and one day, one of his disciples, uh, although they were all Jewish growing up, the Jewish descent, and, and they grew up Jewish, and from the moment they could speak, they were learning to do this thing. Uh, they realized, though, that although they had been doing this thing 
since they could speak, they weren't doing it right. And so one of them stands up, he's, he's got the nerve, he's, he's got the guts to stand up in front of everybody and ask Jesus this question. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, why would he do that? I think because although they had been doing it their entire lives, and for Jewish men, Jewish young men, they, they had learned these memorized, very systematic prayers, uh, they weren't any good at it. Or at least it seemed like they weren't any good at it because what they were doing wasn't working. You know this to be true, and, and I know this to be true. Let's just take a moment, take an honest survey of some of your most recent prayers. Did they work? Did, did you get all that you asked for? Because that's why so many of us have actually stopped praying, right? I'm sure you had a pretty good idea of how things were supposed to go, how you actually wanted them to go. I mean, you sat here on your little throne, in front of your little kingdom, in front of your vast kingdom, I should say. Sorry, your vast kingdom and all your knowledge. You understood the situation. You understood perfectly how the situation should turn out. That you should get that job. That you definitely deserved that promotion. That you should be let off the hook for that thing that you did or that your parents shouldn't be awake when you got home like you prayed for. Uh, of course, of course that person you love should be fully healed. But it did, it, did it turn out that way? Maybe. Maybe not. But so often we come to God with our wants, with what we believe to be our needs, and we hear nothing. We see nothing. We feel nothing. Or worse, the opposite of what we wanted happens. And so we conclude this. We conclude, well, prayer doesn't work. That prayer is a waste of time. Maybe this is why you gave up on prayer a long time ago. You, you thought, yeah, sure, there's probably a God in heaven. But if he's there, he obviously is too busy to listen to me. Well, what if the reason our prayers don't seem to work is because we're not praying correctly? What if we're doing it wrong? What if prayer hasn't worked for you because you don't understand how prayer is supposed to work? And maybe if we actually took the time and asked the question ourselves, Lord, teach me to pray, we would experience prayer in a completely new way. Maybe we would begin to understand the purpose of prayer. And that's why we're doing this series, Prayer That Works. We're in week two of our series, Prayer That Works. And I might be a little bit biased, of course, but I believe today, because this is the one I'm preaching, I believe today, if we get this right, what we're going to discover today, if we get today right and we flop on the rest, if we get today right and we actually never even attempt the rest, if we get today right, you'll experience the power of prayer that works. And that's my hope for you. That, that's our hope in this series because we must learn how to pray so we don't go our entire lives participating in it without experiencing the power of it. And I think the tendency for most of us Christians in the room is we think, come on, man. I've been doing this thing for a long time. I mean, prayer, that's the idea of explaining prayer to me. That's just a little below me. Uh, we're not really going deep enough today. And so I, I understand how to just talk to God like he's my homie. For those under 40, that means friend. I did, as I wrote that in my notes, I'm like, I don't know, homie. Anyway, he's my homie. We're all good. 
We understand each other. We're fine. And I'll tell you, I know people in our church, I know leaders in this room, people who are on the prayer team. They made the team, the prayer team. They're prayer warriors uh, who would put me and, and probably you to shame with the amount of time they spend on their knees bowed before our Heavenly Father. Uh, they probably have forgotten more about prayer than I'll ever know, yet they are desperately pursuing to know and to understand it better because they know and understand the power of it. But if you're good, you Christians in the room, if you're good, you're, honestly, you're free to go to lunch early. I mean, just head on out. No hard feelings. It's not going to bother me. I'm so, I'm so glad nobody had to go to the bathroom because that would have been such a weird moment. Like, <laughs> it would have been really uncomfortable for me and for them, but we're good. Hey, let's jump in. Last week, uh, Ronnie gave us a great introduction to this series. He kind of laid out the groundwork for what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks or so. But today we're actually going to begin to break it down piece by piece. Piece by piece. Uh, we're going to go through what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. Many of us memorized the Lord's Prayer when we were young. We've probably recited it more times than we could ever count. Most of us never considering that Jesus wasn't actually teaching his followers and certainly not teaching us the exact words we were supposed to pray. Uh, he was more so teaching them how to pray. He was giving us some sort of template, if you will, for prayer, all the while simultaneously revealing the reasons why we pray. It was really genius how he did it. And we're going to look at Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. We're going to read it together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. You see, when Jesus describes God this way, He's taking God from this kind of theoretical concept for them. Uh, this spirit being, the, the infinite and unknowable deity, taking it from that to something that we know, something known, something felt, something understood. You see, Jesus is inviting us into something more intimate than spirit or concept or ruler or judge. He's inviting us into something relational, something personal, something non-formulaic. In fact, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, one of the guys that followed him around for a long time, maybe even the one who had the nerve to stand up and ask this question, teach us to pray. Later, he would write, cast your cares upon him, upon God, knowing that he cares for you. This was an intimate, this was a personal or relational invitation. Jesus was also kind of being accommodating to our capacity, our, our mental capacity, if you will. So he says, look, the best way for us mere mortals to approach and to understand an otherwise incomprehensible God is to approach him as a perfect father. For me, this isn't really an issue. I, I am a father. I, I was raised by a great father. And so for me, this, this is the perfect picture of how I can relate to God. But your experience, well, your experience could have been very, very, very different. In fact, your experience could make it so that this terminology could be very challenging. That using this term could be very difficult for you to connect with. But here's the good news for you. Your heavenly father, he knows that. Your heavenly father is empathetic towards that. The fact that you struggle with that, the fact that the idea of a father is really hard for you does not upset him. He's not disappointed in you. He's not frustrated with you. 
In fact, if this is really tough for you to, to wrestle with, to understand, to feel, he's willing to wade into that tension with you. And so my advice to you, hopefully it's helpful, is just bring all of that with you when you pray. Because he already knows. And he's willing to work through it with you. Because if Jesus is correct, and, and I believe that he is, to opt for any other image, to opt for any other concept other than our heavenly father, it may mean that you miss something. It, it may mean that you miss out on something. And he goes on, this then is how you should pray. Our heavenly father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed isn't a word that we use today, but, but the point is this. When we pray, we should pause and acknowledge who we are addressing. The great God that has no rival, that has no equal, the, the uncreated creator, the one who sits on the throne, who, by the way, has invited you and invited me to call him father, who is both infinite and intimate. And when we pray, we, we should pause right there. We don't, but we should. We, we sit upon our measly little pathetic thrones, ruling over our tiny kingdoms, never taking a moment to recognize and bow in reverence to the one we are speaking to. And I... I hesitated doing this this morning because I, I thought it might take too long to explain it all. But as I thought about sitting on our throne, I wanted to help us get a picture of the throne. And so I thought I'd, I'd read to you from a book that we don't read from often in the church, the book of Revelation. And for those of you that are followers of Jesus, uh, who grew up as followers of Jesus, like it's a weird book. It, it's one that we kind of shy away from and and so I, I felt like, man, to jump into such a weird book might be a little awkward. But, man, I wanted to tell you that John, John, who was one of the followers of Jesus, one of his disciples, later on in his life, God gave him a revelation. And he wrote it down. And God gave him the revelation for the church at the time. And so we try and impose things on this book that was, it was never meant to mean. Uh, God gave this vision to John so that the church that was being persecuted on a level that we'll never understand. And so if you use the word persecution when it comes to being a Christian these days, think about the fact that the church that this was written to, they were being stoned for their faith. The church that this was written to, if you professed faith in Jesus, you would be dipped in oil and stuck on a post and burned as a lamp as a way to show the rest of the world that they should not be following Jesus. That's the church that this was written to. And this was written to them so that they would know that their savior, that their king was victorious and they could feel victorious as well. And so that as they fought and as they labored to continue to spread the good news of Jesus, that they could know they were victorious. That's who this was written to. Now keep in mind that as John is seeing this vision, he's trying to explain things that are so far beyond our comprehension. And so yes, it's weird. When I say some things, if you're, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if, you, if you're new here today, when I read this, don't get caught up in how weird it sounds. Let's think about the throne and who sits on it. And let me read this for you. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. 
And the voice I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and was someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings of peals of thunder. In front of the throne were seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, it never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. That's the throne. When we say hallowed be your name, that's the God that sits on that throne. How stupid do we look? How stupid do we look sitting on our throne, standing in opposition to that throne? When we pray and we say, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name, it's because we are looking at that throne. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. What an honor it is to be able to address you at all. What an honor it is to know you and to be known by you, to know that I am heard, that somehow you've considered me in relationship with you, that you allow me to call you Father. I, I did this as I was worshiping in the, in the first gathering, and I, I did it again in the second, I, as I thought about what it meant to, to sing worship to the God on that throne. And how overwhelming that can be. And how powerful that can be. And yet somehow that guy wants me to call him father. And he knows me. When we say hallowed be your name, that is who we're speaking to. And let's be honest, it's kind of difficult to do that in traffic. <laughs> it, it's kind of difficult to get to that place at your desk while you eat lunch. It's kind of rough. It gets a little bit dicey to try and do that while your kids are running around you in the living room. Those are all times to pray, all of them, especially with the kids. You've got to pray during that. But those are all times to pray, but that is not this kind of prayer. Ronnie mentioned it last week as he started off. He said that when and where you pray, it matters. You have to get away. You have to find space and some quiet so that you can appreciate what is actually taking place, that you stand 
before that throne. Don't just spew your prayers quickly as you have time. Don't just spit them out whenever you have a a moment, a a free moment to just maybe connect a little bit. Because when we pause to reflect on who God is, we gain a better understanding of who we are and why we're here. This is where we gain a, a better understanding of our relationship between the creator and the created. This is the place in prayer where we recenter ourselves. This is where we remember the broader context of our lives. If we're honest, our, our little lives. And if we rush past this, if we, if we blow right by this part, we're going to be tempted to skip over what follows next. Or you will stand in stark opposition to what follows next. And what follows next is why we pray. What follows next is the purpose of prayer. It explains why you need a place and a time. Why you need to close the door, maybe get outside and go for a walk to get away from the things that distract you, the the pressures and the stresses, the responsibilities that leave us with a false impression that this is all there is. That my stuff is all there is. When we rush by addressing and recognizing who God is, he is reduced to some kind of good luck charm. Uh, Some kind of wish me luck before the big game or or a test at school or my presentation at work. If, If we don't begin by experiencing some sense of awe, some sense of reverence, what Jesus says next will be lost on you. And it's why what follows rarely ever shows up in our prayers and maybe why our prayers don't work. He goes on. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What about my kingdom? What, What about my will? What about my family or what about my job or my lack of a job? What about this sickness that I've been dealing with? What about the daughter who won't speak to me? Or what about my son who's gone completely off the rails? What about about me? For those of us in the room, we get a little bit of a pass for this. But for his disciples at the time, they wouldn't have. Jesus would smile and say, I already told you. You see, for us, we skipped over verse 8. But verse 8 tells us that for your father knows what you need before you even ask. And so you don't need to start with all of that. When we pause to acknowledge who we're talking to, what else is there to say? What else is there to say other than you first? Your stuff first. Your kingdom first. My kingdom, it can wait. See, the purpose of prayer is to surrender our will, not to impose it. Heavenly Father, before I ask anything... I want you to know that what I want is what you want. Your will be done. See, prayer is not about moving God, but being moved by him. Not about getting him to do our bidding, but getting us to the place where we're ready and willing to do his. 
If you look at Jesus, there's just a few stories about Jesus and, and the way that he would pray. A few different times, he, he went to see his friend Lazarus who, who had passed away. Uh, he knew that he was already gone. He also already knew that it was God's will to raise him from the dead. He already knew it. And so when he gets there and he, and he sees the pain and the people's eyes and, and he sees the tears and he walks up to raise Lazarus from the dead, he prays for like 30 seconds. Dear God, raise him from the dead. Okay, get up. Now then we see another story in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he already knows that his purpose is to die on the cross for you and for me. He already knew it. He knew it from day one. And yet he prays all night long in the garden. Not because he needed to know what God's will was, but it helped him get himself to a place where he was ready to submit to God's will. Jesus is inviting us to live as he lived, to pray as he prayed, and to submit to the will of our Heavenly Father in the same way. To be blunt, if we pray from any other posture than in submission to his will, we aren't doing it right. Jesus says we should bow out of gratitude that we can even address our King as Father. Bow in submission to his will, even if it seems in direct opposition to ours. And I get it. I'm just like you. I have my own little kingdom. I have my own stuff, the things that I'm worried about, the things that I'm dealing with as well. But Jesus assures me and he assures you that our heavenly father knows all about our fragile little kingdoms. That God is in control. That we don't need to start there. In fact, we shouldn't start there. Heavenly Father, your agenda before mine. Your kingdom before mine. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now how can I help? Finish up. This then is how you should pray. Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth, right here, right now. On earth, in my relationships, on earth with my resources, in my community, as it is in heaven. And until we get there, until our will is surrendered to his, until we are off the throne and he is on it, what's the point in continuing? Until our wills, to the best of our ability, are surrendered to his, aren't we just users? Aren't we just takers? Don't we just look silly in light of his throne? I ask you to consider this. If you quit praying because God didn't answer your prayer, as legitimate as your prayer may have been, and I, I don't mean to make little of your prayers. Getting that job is, is important. The healing of a friend or a relative. If you, if you quit praying because God didn't answer that prayer, if you possibly even walked away from God, what does that say about your view of God? You see, you assumed that the unanswered prayer said something about God. But what it really did was expose and show something about your view of God. 
You sit here and you think, hey, if, if there is a God, then he should answer my prayer the way I want, the way I expect him to. I mean, I sit here in front of my kingdom and I can see it all. I've got it all in view. I know what's best. Now, God, go and do it. How silly do we look? So God didn't answer my prayers, and so I'm left to assume God doesn't answer prayer. God doesn't care, and ultimately, God, God just isn't there. And that's perfectly understandable if your view of God is that he's just some kind of favor distributor or a divine healer waiting to be summoned or some kind of lifeguard waiting to be called into action. But if Jesus was correct, what if God, your heavenly father, what if, what if he's more than that? What if he's none of that? What if his plans include you, but they're bigger than you? They include you, but they don't revolve around you. What if prayer doesn't begin with asking, but instead with recognizing and submitting? What if we were to begin with remembering who God is and who we are not? This could be personal, especially if you're dealing with anything like this right now. But the reason we oftentimes find ourselves in situations uh, where we are trying to pray our way out of a situation that we behaved our way into uh, is because we don't start our days this way. We don't live our lives this way. We don't pray this way. We sit on our thrones of our tiny kingdoms and we make dumb decisions based on our limited view of the world and we're left crying out in desperate need. But even in that, even when we're crying out, how do we pray? It's still all about ourselves. It's God help me, God save me, protect me. And does God hear those prayers? I, I absolutely believe he does. But here's the point. Your, your heavenly father would like to help you avoid those prayers. And you avoid those prayers by living a life surrendered to his will. This is why we pray. And so I, I have this suggestion for you, a challenge between now and next time. And by the way, next time we are going to get to our stuff, like, right? We're going to get to the stuff that we can actually ask for. Uh, you know, the part that we usually start with and end with, you know, the only part we normally say at all. Uh, I want you to try praying this way this week, the Jesus way, if you will. Alone, undistracted, informal. There's no, you don't have to say a specific formula. Uh, it can be short. But begin by addressing God as Father. Take a moment to reflect on his greatness and his goodness in your life. Recognize him for who he is and then tell him that his agenda, his kingdom is going to be your priority all day long. You can use Jesus' words if you want. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And if that's a, a sticking point for you, if, if you're not yet a follower of Christ or if you are a follower of Christ but you're just not quite ready to say your will be done in my life until you have an idea of what that will might be, that's okay because you actually have learned something very important today. So pause there and identify what's keeping you from praying your will be done. I'll give you a hint. It's usually fear. It's 
It's fear of losing something. It's, it's fear of giving something up or possibly giving someone up. It's fear of being left out or, or possibly being made fun of. Discovering that is progress. You've just discovered what God wants to work on in your life. Perhaps you've just identified where God is trying to rescue you from a God help me prayer later in the future. If you can't honestly pray, your will be done in my life. Pay attention to that tension because that's why we pray. The purpose of prayer is to submit our will, not to oppose it. This week, when you pray, pray like Jesus instructed us to pray. Start with your heavenly father, not you. Start with your heavenly father and declare his greatness and surrender your will. Uh, throughout this series, each week, we're just going to take a moment at the end of each message and, and try and practice what we've just discussed. And for those of you watching online, it's just a few moments. This is for you as well. And so we're just going to take a few moments uh, and practice the fact that for the first time, maybe for some of us, we are going to try and address God as Heavenly Father. Declare His greatness. Uh, use whatever words create a sense of awe and reverence in you. Father, you are holy. You are good. You're so far beyond me. Your name be exalted. And then simply let him know today that today, this week, in my life, your kingdom before mine, your will before mine, what you want is what I want. As we take this moment to portion of the passage that we read today is going to be up on the screen. Use that as your guide to just spend a few moments with your Heavenly Father. Maybe, maybe you're at a place where you've walked away from God. Or maybe you've never even considered God because of a situation in your life where you felt like God didn't listen. Maybe you saw other people lifting up prayers over and over and over again, and at least in your eyes, they were never answered. And so you thought, man, I, I don't want any of that. Maybe... Hopefully today, you've come to realize or at least question that maybe that says something more about you. Maybe that says something more about your view of God than it does about God. Maybe you've identified that you've been trying to do this whole thing from your own little throne. 
So let me ask you this. How's that going for you? Your heavenly Father, the almighty, uncreated, creator, king, and ruler of all cares for you. And he wants you off of this throne, not to take power from you, but to give you the opportunity to experience power in a way you would never be able to on your own. And for those of you that are not followers of Christ, that is his invitation to you today. This is your first act of humble submission to the king on that throne. To bow before that throne. To say, I'm a terrible king. I am a terrible ruler. Would you forgive me? Would you be my king? For those of us who are followers of Jesus but keep finding ourselves on this dinky little throne, remember the purpose of our prayer is to surrender our will, not to impose it. So fold that thing up, get rid of it. So I ask you, does prayer work? Well, this kind of prayer always works. It always works on us. And it always works for us because it puts us in our place and gets us off that throne. Heavenly Father, your name be lifted high. You are so far beyond my understanding and yet somehow for some reason you want relationship with me. That I don't have to stand in fear of that throne. That I can walk boldly up to that throne and be in relationship, an intimate relationship with you. God, remind us all of that. And this week, God, your kingdom come. Your agenda before mine. Your stuff before my stuff. Show me where I get in the way. For those of us that have yet to put our faith in Jesus, we could just pray this this morning that, God, I am a sinner. I, I know I'm broken. I need you to forgive me. This morning, I want to make you the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. God, I pray for those that are making that decision or close to making that decision. Would you come and capture hearts? Only you can do the work. We love you. We thank you that your word no matter how long we've read it, no matter how long we've thought we've known it perfectly, you can continue to radically transform the hearts of those that seek you because your word is living. And so would you continue to do that as we break down this scripture over the next few weeks? Would you continue to work in our hearts? Pray all these things in your name. Amen.